Whenever I visit France, I always see lots of top bottles for sale, but when I get back home, those same bottles can be much harder to find, if not impossible. That's why I use IdealWine.com. At IdealWine.com, I can buy wines directly from France for delivery directly to my home. They have new auctions every week, and the fixed price selection is equally awesome. Clos Rouchard, Chateau Reyes, and Ulysse Colon, as well as many more greats from all over France, are regularly available on the website. Best of all, it is simple and hassle-free to buy them. Ideal Wine handles all the customs and logistics hurdles for you and for me. Wines are ordered with a couple of clicks, and then they arrive. It is simple. Check out IdealWine.com for more information. That's I-D-E-A-L-W-I-N-E.com to find what you'd like to be drinking. I'm Levy Dalton, and this is All Drink to That, where we get behind the scenes of the wine business. You may have heard of R. Pei Pei, the Lombardia producer of excellent wines from the Valtellina, but you may not have heard of Isabella Pelizzati Perugo, who will be on the show today to tell us about her family estate. Hello, Levin. Lovely to, to be here. It's a big pleasure for us. Great to have you. Thank you so much. So you're at R. Pei Pei, uh, and you make uh, red wine from the Valtellina. And I wonder if you could sort of sketch the history of uh, the family and the winemaking in the in the family? Because I know there used to be a different winery name and what's going on? How did that all play out? Yeah, the family history in wine uh, business is very long. We are now the fifth generation together with my brothers, Emanuele and Guido. And uh, the family began, began in 1860s. And um, actually, uh, the, the company was founded by our great-great-grandfather, Giovanni, but then the name of it was done by the great-grandfather Arturo Pelizzati. Oh, okay. Yeah. So there was an Arturo Pelizzati winery. Exactly. And um, and then uh, together with uh, his son, Guido, and the grandson, Arturo, my father. So there they, was two Arturos then. Exactly. Got so it. They, they were proceeding. And um, until the 70s, the 73, unfortunately... Um, our great our grandfather could actually got ill of a cancer, and since our father was oh, the only child working with him, um, they had to decide that the only solution in order to divide was actually to sell. I see. So they sold the company uh, with with the let's say the the brand. They the sold seller. Arturo Pelizzati. Yes, but they didn't sell the vineyards. Vineyards were actually divided into the family. I see. And it was thanks to this that our father, a few years later, decided to start again with his own vineyards only that haven't been sold, thankfully. So he started in a different dimension. Of course, we were much bigger in the past. We were only more than fifty hectares, while when he started again. It was only 10 hectares. So he was also able to buy again his part of the cellar that was not uh, destroyed by the people who were potting. I see. Because there had been cellar space built in Gromello in the hill. 
Yeah, we are, we were based at the, just at the base of Grumello, uh, just so in the the cellar that is still existing, the one we own now, is just digging to the mountain under base of Grumello, and which is a perfect condition because it's a perfect temperature and perfect humidity as well, and into the mountain, so it's a zero impact in terms of. Uh, architectural impact. So Guido built that facility and then his son Arturo kind of revitalized it. Actually, yeah, Guido and Arturo, they were uh, working and creating this together. Um, there was a biggest part outside that uh, is not existing anymore, but what was left was the, the inner part into the mountain and we are using there again, so it's still, uh, still in the good shape and... Uh, yeah. So uh, maybe we could speak a little bit about the wines you make under the RPPE label, which was the winery that that your father then restarted after Pelizzati was sold. Um, it seems that they're all they're all red. Is that is that true? Do you make any white wine? We don't make any white wine. It's all Nebbiolo grape variety that we locally call Chiavenasca from the dialect name Chuvinasca, which means more adapted to be transformed into wine in a dialect word. And uh, under the brand Arpepe that uh, our father had to create in order to be apart from the old ones. Because he couldn't so, call it Pelzati no, anymore because they had sold the name. Yeah. So Arpepe, it's Stem actually for... Arturo Pelizzati Perigo. And so just the acronymus in order to be using his own name in a different way. So that's why the periods are in between the, the yeah. Arpepe's because yeah. it's abbreviated for, for yeah. his name. And when did that restart? He did restart with the harvest 84. So temporary, the, the vineyards had to be rented for, for 10 years minimum. So he was working for a little while with the people who got our company before. I see. And uh, when, he, when he managed to get the vineyards back after this, uh, I mean, mandatory time of renting, so he got it back and started again with the vintage 84. But because he didn't really want to make a very long-aging wine like he was doing with his father and grandfather, he really didn't go outside into the market up to the beginning of 90s. So basically, we've been away from the market a little bit more. And uh, so that's why he had to start. So he didn't start selling it till the 90s. Yes. So after minimum six years aging. And so the first bottle of our, of our Pepe uh, happened to be on the market at the beginning of 90s when it was already 80, vintage 84. And it was a Sassella Roche Rosse 84. Wow. That must be a great wine because it's not required by law to age it for six years you could do it for two or for four for a reserva so you guys chose to age it for longer is that is that right actually in the past a reserva must have been at least five years oh, i didn't know that yeah that was the past so that's why he started following the the older procedure the older disciplinar and uh, even though nowadays uh, they change it so now it can be called reserva after three years aging we prefer to keep staying on the old ones because we really believe that Nebbiolo expresses best through long aging. So we need a lot of patience. And they, the wines are 100% Nebbiolo pretty much across the board, right? You don't use yes. some of the other native grape varieties that are there. No, they are 100% Nebbiolo. And we love this because I think uh, Nebbiolo, it's really performing so well and also. Because I think a lot of times people are like, oh, Nebbiolo it only is grown in Piemonte, they think, or only grown well in Piemonte. But here you are in Lombardia, which is the area 
uh, the mountainous area near Switzerland that's centered around Milan as the major city. And you also make wonderful Nebbiolo. And does it feel like sometimes people just don't know about what you're doing? Well, uh, Valtellina has been growing again uh, Nebbiolo since uh, centuries, sure. millenniums. Because, uh, the Romans. Really, yeah, so it's, uh, it's very, very long uh, history of Valtellina producing wine. For sure, not so well known because Lombardy is more known for industrial things and less for agriculture for sure and so this little valley right at the border this east west valley so it's a uh, i think this is really a unique uh, environment that needs to be discovered but at the same time it's for sure it's uh, it's much little more little than the langi area so uh, that's why it's probably so less unknown and uh, at the same time there are very interesting studies going on about the origin of nebbiolo in and there is the, the CNR, so the National Research Center based in Turin with a, a lot of research center and a lot of people that are working on it together with some institute in Valtellina. And, uh, and apparently from a genetical point of view, it looks like there is much more biodiversity of clones in Valtellina rather than in Piemonte. Which sure. Is so interesting because, of course, genetics is sort of telling us that... Uh, Valtellina might be the original area for the Nebbiolo and then probably moving up to the North Piemonte and then down to the Lange. But of course, we cannot say this yet because it's very long uh, uh, research and um, very expensive. And we're still trying to see the end of this big study. But it's very interesting what's coming out. And when the researchers said this, uh, when we were doing the Nebbiolo grapes event uh, in Halba in 2006, they, when they first said this, of course, there was a bit of a shock for a lot of people, and not only journalists, but also producers. So so it's interesting what's coming out. And uh, for sure, Valtellina was much more famous also in the past. Uh, it was reaching a super famous time when uh, during the 500 years ago, when Valtellina has been dominated by the Swiss for mm -hmm. 300 years. Sure. And at, under the time, we reached the major part of, uh, of vineyards. We were having more than 5,000 hectares, more or less like the Valais is today. So basically, Valtellina was producing mostly for the North Europe, so Switzerland and uh, German-speaking countries. And um, so we were much more known at that time uh, for, for this reason. Uh, but then... Uh, through the time and through the fact that uh, it's all manual work, because as you can see, it's all terraced and it's all you cannot mechanize in any way. We kept losing pieces and pieces here and there. The bush have, have taken over a lot. And uh, nowadays we end up to be something like 800 hectares in total, which is very little. And we have to do all Not the... for you, but for the entire Valtellina. Yes, of course. And uh, we really need to do all our best in order to preserve all of this to keep them for the future. And uh, that's why also we are working in order to insert all of this into the UNESCO heritage. And we You are, okay. We really hope to be successful in this. Of course, it's a long process. We are in the tentative list. It's a longer um I mean, process, of course, and uh, but um, this could bring uh, a lot of more future and more tourism to Valtellina and more international awareness. And uh, people need to be proud of what they have around because I think it's really a unique place and uh, we need to preserve for the next generations. So when it was... Uh, when when the Swiss were utilizing it as kind of the southern part of Switzerland, where you could make war warmer climate wines than they could in further north, 
in Switzerland. Uh, did that develop a relationship where maybe uh, a lot of the wine went to Switzerland and we, that's why some of the Americans maybe know it less because there was a, traditionally a long history of selling to Northern Europe, kind of like right bank Bordeaux, that kind of thing? Yeah, probably was that way because so basically we were mainly known by the by the north those northern countries and uh, even the rest of Italy probably at that time was not knowing so much of Valtellina at the same time so we were all selling the most uh, up there and so for sure less for US but uh, less for the rest of the countries but then uh, um, just in the 70s already and uh, even before in the 60s uh, um, we were seeing through the the old labels that uh, we were actually already exporting to US and to Australia also, for example. It was very unique uh, considering that there was no fax, no emails, nothing like that. So I can imagine now have been difficult, the communication at the time. But uh, still, Valtellina, when start uh, uh, being a little bit more and more known, um, there were not so many wine region in the world uh, around. So I think... Uh, got a very good recognition at that time as well. And maybe we could talk a little bit about the Valtellina because you make wine from a few different areas of the Valtellina. Um, you make Cicella, you make Grimello, you make Inferno. Could you explain a little bit about the differences between those zones inside the Valtellina? Yeah, Valtellina so is a long east-west valley, as we said. We have just one side, the, the north side facing south, that is with terraces all all over. So the vineyards face south. Yes. Which has got to help in a northern, northernly mountainous high altitude area. Yeah. So so we have all the terraces and it's all very much geographical um, places uh, because uh, Sassella, for example, is just uh, around Sondrio, uh, watching Sondrio from... Uh, which is a town in that yeah, area. Yeah, it's the main town. And, um, and we have Sassella just about uh, in the west part of Sondrio. And uh, we actually have there the majority of our vineyards. We have uh, 8.5 hectares all together, which is really the most historical part of, of, of the Sassella together with another producer. We, we have sort of the monopoly of the old traditional part of Sassella. And then uh, we have uh, two hectares and a half in the Grumello area, which is taking the name from the Grumello Castle that is right at the top. Sure. And uh, it's just on the east part of Sondrio. And, uh, and then we have a uh, 0.5 hectare in the Inferno area, which is another area just in the other municipality, which is in, in another Podgeridinti municipality. And uh, it's a very, very little place. And um, the difference in between uh, the, those zones, so of course, uh, it's all very much geographical. So you know that up to that uh, level, up to that little valley, up to the little river, it's going to be called this way or, or not. And more or less, the, the altitude goes from 300 meter up to 600 meter. More Which or is less. pretty high. Yeah. And, uh, and then uh, the type of soil is not so different in between them all. Because you have to think that the way the the vineyards were done were made the terraces and then filled up with the with the soil from the river. So this all the soil is very much sandy, fragmented rocks, and very poor in a way. But uh, then uh, what we see that is changing a lot is uh, the amount of rocks here and there that can be for normally in Sassella and Inferno is much more rocky than in the Grumello area, for example, which is getting some wines that are a little bit more. 
you know, a little more tough maybe at the very beginning, a little bit more uh, difficult to understand when they are young, but then they can deliver a lot of more, uh, you know, uniqueness and uh, very much complexity through through aging. So I think it's uh, it's very interesting to see all the differences in this way. And then of course, it's all a lot of uh, microclimate that you have uh, here and there because Valtellina, as we said, is a long east-west valley, but there are plenty of uh, different other little valleys that are going north-south. So they are bringing, I mean, winds from the north and things. And so every single area has got a special microclimate, and uh, it, which is making everything so unique. So uh, if I were to look on a shelf and, and want to know in my mind, what would be the difference between a wine-labeled Gramello and a wine-labeled Cicilla or Inferno in terms of taste? What might I expect? Yeah, I I would say a Grumello is normally probably the most, um, um, as an introduction wine, I think, because Grumello is normally a little more sweet at the nose and in the mouth, can be a little bit more gentle in a way. And um, if you consider the same sort of aging, Grumello is going to be a little bit more immediate, probably, a little bit more easy to understand for people who are not, uh, I mean, aware of Valtellina and Nebbiolo, I'm not in Nebbiolo. But, uh, so the, a little plusher than, than some. Yeah, a little bit more, yeah, easy to understand uh, for sure. While uh, Sassella and Inferno, they are normally a little bit more stronger, a little bit more, um, yeah, complex and uh-huh. uh, rich probably a little bit more sometimes even a little bit more uh, close at the very beginning can be can need a little bit more time to express its best in the glass but then I believe either Sassella and Inferno can have a little bit more um, complexity and uh, time to, to discover and uh, come out with a little bit more time so so they seem a little bit more shy in a way, but uh, if you let them express, then uh, they might tell you more and more. And Inferno, just the name of it seems to imply that it's pretty warm there. Is it? Is it hot there? It's, or? it's hot there because there are lots of rocks. Again, they are reflecting the sunshine. And so sometimes, uh, yeah, you, you get the feeling of, uh, of the heat in the wine itself. Uh, sometimes they, you can get slightly higher... Mm, concentration of alcohol but but not all the time but it's really a warm that you get uh, as well in the and sometimes you get also some yeah balsamic notes as well and in, in inferno in inferno yeah but maybe not in Cicella or it's Cicella again it's more um sometimes yeah a little more minerality a little more kind of high toned uh, yeah well i mean You've mentioned a few times about the age, so I guess that uh, leads me to wonder, at what age do you typically drink the wines that you make? Uh, what should I be thinking about if I have them in my own cellar? At, at what age should I start really opening up the wines that you make? Well, uh, we normally release the wine when we think uh, they are already in a good age, but then, of course, those wines can be aged much longer. And, for example, the the youngest wines we are selling um, is going to be something like uh, five to six years aging already. Okay. Yeah. So some, Just normally. Yeah. We, we really believe that uh, we do at least, uh, for, for the young Sassella, Grumello and Inferno, we do minimum two years in wood. Then we do at least... Uh, uh, 
one half year in bottle as well. And then it always spending a little while in concrete or stainless steel in between the wood and the bottle. Oh, okay. I didn't know that. So you put it back in the... Yeah. They are all fermented in uh, in wood, in big uh, uh, chestnut and uh, oak uh, barrel of so you 50. Use chestnut as well as oak. Yeah. I mean, we try to use uh, chestnut as much as possible. Uh, Why do you like it? It's matching so well with the, the tannins of uh, Nebbiolo from the mountain. We really believe it's sort of a chemistry thing, so that it's just matching perfectly and maintaining the wine very fresh and very um, yeah, young in a way, because uh, sometimes they too much wood, maybe too much oak. Sometimes in Valtellina can be a little bit overtaking and showing a sort of older wines rather than maintaining the freshness and, uh, and keeping them alive. I see. And when the wines go into bottle and then you release them at six years of age, what's the window for how, what's the, I mean, if, what are we talking about wines that I can drink immediately till 10 years, till 20 years? When, when do you tend to like the different crews at? Well, you can enjoy immediately, but uh, if you have a good cellar to keep them, there's no problem to keep much longer, so up to 10, 20 years or even more. And for example, the the, the eldest bottle we've been tasting uh, from our I mean, experience was the was it open for the the 60th birthday of our father in the 2002. So it was actually from 1942. Oh wow. Yeah, and uh, it was a Palazzati one. Yes, made by the father and uh, grandfather together. And uh, even though it wasn't a super vintage, because uh, they always told our father, "Try not to be like your vintage," because it was not perfect all the time. But uh, <laughs> that's pretty funny, actually. <laughs> but then uh, people tell me that about seventy-seven too. They're like, "Try not to be like your vintage." And, and so, really, it was uh, it was fantastic. Still so fresh, and uh, of course, because uh, that was a wartime vintage, yeah. So maybe yeah. some difficulty in terms of harvesting, or yeah, it was, and uh, probably not uh, a perfect uh, climate conditions as well. And uh, but it was um, amazingly uh, expressive and uh, fresh, and still so intense. So even uh, after sixty years old, uh, could have a future to be. I mean, unfortunately, our father decided to open them all, so <laughs> we cannot see anymore to see. He didn't way. want you to know how bad his vintage was. <laughs> anyway, no, I'm just so kidding. <laughs> but I mean, I think a lot of people think, "Oh, Nebbiolo, so Barolo Barbaresco." How would you compare what you make if someone had not tried a Valtellina? Obviously, there are a lot of producers like Nino Negre or Reynaldi that people might know or Conte Sertali Salas. But if somebody hasn't had your wine or one of the other Valtellina producers, what might they expect if they're used to Nebbiolo from the Lange? I think uh, our Monte Nebbiolo or Alpine Nebbiolo, it's really unique in terms of uh, profile as well. You you get a, a very interesting uh, profile at the nose. It's much more floral, for example. So you found really a much more complexity in the nose uh, compared to the Nebbiolo from from the Lange, which is uh, very, um, I mean, complex and tough. But at the same time, at the nose, sometimes to me, it's just uh, more uh, two or three uh, blocks, let's say, and without, if I want to see like a diagram, I see like a really a, a super diagram with a lot of notes in the, in the nose, uh, which make the wines to me 
more interesting because it's um, you get more floral notes and a lot of fruit notes, but it's uh, it's matching very interesting. And uh, what I think it's uh, making our Nebbiolo even more interesting is then uh, the minerality that you can get uh, through the tasting. Um, so you really perceive uh, it's like a sort of syrup of rocks in a way where you see this minerality bringing the wine so alive and so easy to match with food. Um, Nebbiolo it's for sure a wonderful grape, but sometimes when it's too strong and too heavy, you find it difficult to match with food. I believe Nebbiolo from Valtellina, it's um, a big chance in this because uh, you can really match with whatever food you like. So even with fish, for example, if you taste some older vintages that are very silky as well and that can be so smooth, they are matching very well also with fish. But uh, not only, of course, uh, then you can have enjoy with meat as traditional or with good, I mean, cheese as well. But really, you are probably more freedom. You have more freedom to experiment with our Nebbiolo, I guess. You have a broader range of things you could do because the wines aren't quite as big. From, yeah. Like just in terms of weight, they're a little more uh, lifted in terms of mineral character and elegance. So. Yeah, that's uh, that's really the point to me. And uh, Do they age along the same lines? I mean, if I were to think Barolo vintage and Valtellina vintage, opening times, would that be about the same? Or should I be thinking about something different if I'm opening up a Valtellina in terms of the maturity curve? Actually, I would say they, they do age uh, extremely well, or if not even better sometimes, but uh, uh -huh. that's, a, that's a challenge for you to taste as well. I mean, we've been doing in the past uh, some, some interesting things with some other producer, um, doing sort of a vertical and horizontal tasting, choosing some very good vintages uh, from, from us and from them, for example. And... Uh, Really, uh, it was so amazing to see the way that you see like brothers and sisters. But uh, in the Valtellina ones, you really were perceiving a little bit more freshness. At some point, you had the impression they were much younger at the same time. So it, I think it, that's a good challenge to, to challenge people who love Nebbiolo to make their own comparison at home. And because I think uh, it really makes a lot of sense and, um, and give you a good idea of the way they behave through time. And you make a few different uh, bottlings from single crews. So you make a, a few different Cicellas, for example. What are the differences between those bottlings? And why is one different than another? Yeah, we, in the best vintages, uh, when, uh, I mean, all the climate condition, it's perfect. And when uh, you got the perfect skin, the perfect uh, um, maturation, etc., the perfect thickness of the skins, we like to do very longer maceration. We can reach in wood up to 40, 50 days maceration. And at that point, it's fantastic for us to uh, make an evidence difference in between uh, the single crew vineyard that are then expressing at their best. So, for example, in the Sassella, we have two parts. Um, well, actually three, because uh, there is a little bit more at the top. But um, we have the Vigna Regina right at the, at the west part of the Sassella. It's more or less one hectare only. And then we have the Roche Rosse more at the east part of the Sassella. It's more than two hectares there. And um, in this way, um, you see that the, the Vigna Regina is normally a little more rocky in a way. And it's getting wine that are always a little more, um, I mean, 
delicate and a little bit more mineral, but uh, in a sort of subtle way, uh, with a lot of complexity, but uh, more um, yeah delicate, I would say. While apart from the Rocherus, it's normally a little bit more tough, maybe, and a little bit more masculine in a way. And you get uh, some wine that are uh, a little bit more powerful. So sometimes people prefer the Rocherose compared to the Vignardino, or vice versa, that it's a matter of taste for sure. But we like to see those differences. And of course, when the vintage is extremely good, you can well appreciate the difference in between the two. Then, for example, we have that vineyard at the top that um, we actually use when the vintage is super good with the quality of the grapes itself, fantastic, to do a late harvest. Mm -hmm. Because uh, at that point, we decide to pick the grapes one extra month after the harvest. So if our standard harvest will be in the second part of October, the harvest of Ultimirage part at 600 meters is going to be in the second part of November. And in this way, we get a wine that is slightly more rich in alcohol, in uh, yeah, in all the components, but uh, then, for sure, then in alcohol as well. But uh, it gets still a lot of minerality because uh, we do not cut the bunches, so we let the plant working still. And uh, when do you pick, like November or? For example, the the wine that we are presenting this Monday here, also in New York, at the Slow Wine event, is going to be picked on the 25th of November, for okay. example, and it was the vintage 2005. So it's going to be an anteprima there. And normally you might pick in October or well, early our, November? Or? Our standard pick would be in the second part of October. Sometimes we start about uh, the 15th, sometimes at the 20th. It's really depending on the maturation, and we always try to get the perfect phenolic maturation of the grapes. And uh, for this part, normally we do uh, right at the... Um, in the second part, so sometimes can be the 15th of um, November if it is uh, slightly anticipated. We reach up to the beginning of December sometimes. For example, for the vintage 2002, that was fantastic in Valtellina. Was, oh, it was? Yeah. Oh, maybe a good tip for those who uh, are avoiding O2 Barolo. Well, uh, yeah, 2002 was extremely lucky vintage because uh, we didn't get any hailstorm, which is, of course, the major risk uh, for... For, for everybody, but uh, for us as too. And uh, we've been... Um, Are you kind of in a rain shadow, like with the mountains? Do they sort of block that a little bit? Well, mm, it's a really a microclimate, so most of the time we are well sheltered by, yeah. by that. Sometimes, unfortunately not. So it's really like, for example, in 2008, we were much more unlucky than the Lange area because uh, we got a lot of hailstorm at that time. And, for example, we are not going to go out with any label from 2008. Oh, oh I didn't know that. You're not yeah. releasing any wine at all? Not at all, no. Not even Rosso de Valtellina? Not even Rosso because it was not... Uh, I'm sorry so to fresh. hear that. Yeah, unfortunately, working with nature, sometimes you sure. don't get good surprises. But, um, well, that's part of the job anyway. Is there uh, an elevation difference with hail or does it fall pretty uniformly at 300 and 600 meters? I mean, is there places it doesn't hit because it's too high or too low or...? Well, hail always uh, coming as a surprise. So sometimes you get a just a little part of the the vineyard touch, and sometimes not. And so it's really depending. It's it's no forecast at all. It's very hard to to detect. Sometimes it's just arriving, and you just get a a line, and then it's just moving by the wind. So it's really you can't really foresee and say something definite about that. 
Do you feel that the area has gotten warmer? A lot of times we hear about global warming in wine, a- wine areas, or is it about the same as it has been in the past? Well, sometimes it's getting a little bit warmer, but then uh, we have some other vintages that are bringing back uh, to more natural or more, um, I mean, let's say older way of working. So I believe uh, there is a slight global warming, but not too much. For example, we start again the harvest on the 21st of of October. So it was really, um, I mean, mean, classic uh, time of first starting so we didn't face to anticipate like in September things like that or so so we we have to be careful of course so we have to watch carefully what's going on but um, but still uh, we are not so worried about that so let me ask you about the things that you don't do because no white wine uh, and uh, I suppose there's probably reasons for that. And then uh, there's also a history in that area of doing like sforzato where you, people dry the grapes and go for uh, kind of like an Amarone process with, with Nebbiolo and you, you don't do that much. And then Pelizzati used to make a, a wine called Runche, Runche where they mm-hmm. blended all the local grape varieties together, all the red grape varieties, and you don't do that. So why not? for those why don't why do you choose the direction you do why no white why no sforzato or at least not often and why no of the other grape varieties yeah well sforzato of course it's a it's a wonderful wine and uh, very interesting like the amarone but uh, we believe that in sforzato you perceive a little bit more the hand touch with the let's say with the this technique of drying the grapes under the roof that for sure it's um, i mean it makes um, everything more easier because of course you are not facing the the weather uh, conditions and uh, in the opposite of that we do the late harvest being very natural in the plant uh, drying the grapes directly in the, in the most natural way of course that is more uh, risky in a way but uh, it's also more natural and um and what we like uh, of the, the late harvest compared to the sforzato is that uh, you get a wine that is still very much easy to drink because you maintain the minerality and the freshness. While th- with the sforzato, you can get a wine that is going a little bit away from the terroir of Valtellina because you perceive more the techniques, etc. And you get a wine that to us, it's a little bit too strong and too difficult to match with food. It's a wine that at that point you just like to enjoy as a glass and, and not a the table. So what we want to try to get with the late harvest is still a wine that can be more enjoyable in the meal. And in the past I have to say that Sforzato could have been called this way with this sort of technique, but when he got the DOCG in 2002 they had to design one single way of working and of course they decided the easiest one. So in the past our Ultimiragi could have been called Sforzato but now not anymore. And so we are stick to tradition in a different way. And um, the other type of things of blending, I, you mentioned this wine, Runke, that was uh, actually like a Rosso di Valtellina, blending uh, for the different zones. And um, for our Rosso di Valtellina, for example, we dedicate the lower part of our Sassella mailing between 300 and 400 meters, but also a little bit of our Grumello area. So we do dedicate a little bit of Sassella and Grumello as well. Uh, not of Inferno because we have such a little part and we try to keep separate and to save it as Inferno because uh, it's very, very little. 
And um, but at the same time, um, we try to get for the Rosso di Valtellina a wine that is uh, well ready to drink, uh, much more fruity, and uh, to to give more uh, chance to this characteristic rather than to yeah the longer aging, etc. So. Does that see chestnut or no? The yes, it does. does. It does. So sometimes it's even fermented in chestnut because it's also the rosso is fermented in wood, normally up to four, six days of maceration. And then it spends always uh, sort of six to nine months in big wood as well. That can be some chestnut or a little bit of oak, but always uh, a good time in, in wood as well. And then at least uh, six months up to one year in bottle as well before releasing. So even for the rosso, we try to keep... Uh, a, yeah, a good aging because uh, we believe uh, it needs a little bit of more time also for the rosso to express it best. And and is it an area in the Valtellina that's maybe just not suited to whites, or you just don't like them yourself, or why no white? Well, uh, Valtellina in general, it's really a red wine area. So mm -hmm. there are some producers who are trying to do some experiments in some little parts that maybe can be a little bit more, I mean, not in the shadow, of course, but maybe in a higher way or with a little bit less exposure. And um, But I think uh, mainly it's really red. I mean, there's never a big part of, uh, of white wine. The tradition so, is yeah, for red. The tradition is definitely for red, yeah. Then in the future, you never know, maybe... Well, a dream could be to go a little bit higher as you were doing in the past, because of course in the in the top we have more bush taking over of the. So maybe in the future, if we really are successful and we want to try to make some experiments, probably we could try to reconquer from the bush the right at the top. Of course, uh, it's it will be very difficult, um, and maybe we could be facing also some problems in removing the bush and things like that. Because Just in of course, terms of labor, like yeah. getting up there because it's steep and mm. high and hard to move. Yeah, so we will see. And there's another area of Valtellina called Valgella. And it, do you have any plans in the future to maybe make a wine from there? Or it's just you don't have the vineyards there and it doesn't make sense for you guys? Well, we, we do not have uh, any vineyards nowadays in Valgella. We we had in the past uh, uh, when we were together with the grandfather, etc., and so for us at the, in this moment, uh, it doesn't make a lot of sense to, to go there because, of the, well, of course, it is a lot of labor work of what we do. You have to think that we have roughly something like 1,200 hours per hectare per year. Really? That seems like a lot. Yeah, which is uh, at least three times what you face for the hill. And we don't think about uh, the, com the comparison with the flat areas. But uh, it is a lot of work and even moving the people from one part to the other would be a problem. So basically, uh, if we get uh, new new vineyards, normally are just coming around our area. It might be sometimes some older people who are not uh, able to to cultivate anymore and they ask us whether we want to take it over. And so we might say yes if they are close to us because it's just, uh, it's make it very easy to, to, to work. But um to face in a new other area is going to be a little bit more complicated. And uh, for sure, Valgella is a little bit more like Romello, giving wines that are a little bit more ready to drink and deep. And uh, then, of course, we know some very good producer, like Fai, that they have the majority in Sassel, in Valgella, and where they do uh, produce uh, very good wines. Uh, but for us, 
yeah, it doesn't make a, a lot of sense to move up there. It is an area of a lot of small growers, right? I mean, 100, 150, 180 small growers and then relatively few wine-producing firms, so maybe 20 or so. Is that about right? Or Yeah, you have to think that, uh, I mean, in Valtellina, the property is very much fragmented in general. So of those 800 hectares we were talking about before, about 70% uh, is owned by people who are actually doing their own little wines for the family and selling the most to the biggest company. So a company like uh, like us or like Fai or like other small producer who are controlling all their chains were quite unique because uh, the biggest company have always been uh, preferred to buy the grapes rather than uh, cultivate their own places. So you at Arpepe don't really buy in grapes. You no. you work the vineyards that you own. Yeah. Which has got to be as it, you just mentioned somewhat of a rarity in the region because it's not really set up that way. Like yeah. there's not a lot of people who own a lot of their own vines like at a big scale. Yeah. But of course um if you control your own uh, vineyards and your own production it of course uh, for us it makes more sense uh to work in this way. And uh, but then yeah, it's not uh, it's not common, let's say, and um, and because of this, uh, we keep losing pieces and pieces because um, every time uh, being private property, uh, every time one of those old people uh, cannot proceed anymore, it's either decide to sell the vineyards or they can abandon them, and no one can say anything because. Um, there's no rule for that. That's why the point, if we were into the UNESCO, probably is not going to be only private property. It's going to be a, a public property in a way that uh, you have the responsibility to keep alive what you are doing. So either you keep your own vineyards alive, either you rent it or either you sell it, but you have to keep the vineyard itself um, working, let's say. So you're saying the Valtellina as a whole tends to shrink because there's such small-scale holdings and those people essentially give up and that parcel goes extinct for vines. Yeah, that there's a big risk of losing pieces and pieces here and there. And and it was at one time quite a bit bigger, like six times as big, the whole area, yeah. and now it's shrunk. Would you say that the best areas are exploited today or not? Are there great vineyard sites in the Valtellina that lay fallow? Well, for sure, uh, we've been able to keep the most historical part, like the, all the subzones. For sure, we tend to lose uh, less of the main places. But uh, if we look back, we see that uh, they were reaching a little bit more higher in some areas. Or sometimes here and there, you can still see the bush coming in, in between, and which is really making more nervous because uh, you understand that uh, in some areas... Uh, you shouldn't be doing that because uh, you still have uh, a good access. Of course, if you lose the the top part, it will be the most difficult to cultivate. Maybe no roads, no anything. But um, we've been losing here and there something. So they gather another good um, challenge will be to recover the part that we've been losing in between. And, and it's great that uh, uh, with other uh, sort of young producer that are just now facing that they were just making their own grapes and maybe selling to other big companies they start now producing their own bottle maybe like a thousand bottle or something that probably the US market might don't know because they are very very little but they are very good and uh, I think it's a good 
brought a new trend up happening in Valtellina. So with new young people, like the age of my brother, that Emanuele, that they are sort of contagious things that uh, we try to get them involved a little bit more to get their own bottles. And uh, we hope these things are going to be more and more common in the future because um, I believe Valtellina will be more and more successful if we get a brighter um, class of uh, new producer, new small young producer. If the Appalachian itself had more name recognition for high quality in the market, it would be easier for you to sell your wine. For sure. And uh, and for sure, it, it would bring a, a, more, a bigger awareness of Valtellina around the world. Yeah. And let's just talk about the physicality of what you're doing. Um, it's terrace vineyards that are quite high. Um, does that mean no tractors, manual harvesting? What does that really entail? Well, for us, it's 100% manual work. There's no possibility to enter with any physical, mechanical things like tractor or anything else. So from when you put a plant, you do manually, you, you dig your roll to put the new plant up to the pruning and the cutting and the fixing. Everything must be done manually. And of course, the harvest, that it's just the final festival, if you like, when you do manually and you have to so you, you cut the bones manually, you carry on your shoulder the grapes to bring them back to the, to the bottom. When we are lucky in some areas, we have some telepheric that are supporting us, uh, bringing the grapes up or bringing the grapes down, depending whether there is a, a narrow road up or down to, to bring the grapes in. So a mechanical device, you can put the grapes in and it moves up and down, uh, like yeah. a vernacular. Exactly, that uh, that's the only mechanical support that we can get. But uh, let's say the most is all manual. And um, But this is also a, an excellent control of the quality because then you can make your own perfect selection. And then... Um, in the vineyard. In the vineyard. So less reliance on like a sorting table. Yeah. And when they get into the cellar, they are ready well selected and ready to to be transformed and for example on this we've been doing a very good uh, introduction uh, taking some little basket and Manuela was just creating some little um, backpack in a way in order to allocate those little baskets and uh, in this way as you pick the grapes you never transfer from one basket to the other so they arrive exactly in the same way and this has been a very little detail that has made a huge difference of uh, quality because uh, really you never know must around uh, they are just as perfect as they were in the vineyards because if you're not bruising them then you're not opening them up to oxidation or increased tannins yeah absolutely so i i i would assume that from the taste of the wines that uh, the winemaking would be what you could sum up as traditional. But I wonder if you could kind of walk me through the winemaking and what it is that happens once the grapes reach the winery. What what actually is the process? Yeah. So we we just have, um, uh, we remove, of course, the green part inside. We don't uh, ferment all together. And uh, we just remove these and uh, and then we do ferment in big uh, wood, about those 50 hectoliters. That was actually a dream that we were having of our, together with our father in the past, to be able to ferment in wood. In the past, uh, our father couldn't be doing this because couldn't get its equipment new. And he was at that time fermenting in concrete or in stainless steel. And only after the first year in there, they were going to the Botti for aging. 
since 2006, we've been able to do this um, new uh, fermentation in wood. It was something really desirable. And uh, we've been so happy and about this experiment that we decided to go 100% win only with the wood fermentation, which is making the wine very natural from the very beginning. So you really get the wood uh, with the fermentation going so natural with the oxygen going into the fermentation straight away. Because the oxygen comes through the wood staves yes. as opposed to an inox stainless steel, yeah. no oxygen. And really, it's making the wine uh, very, very natural in this way to me. And uh, if the year it's extremely good, we are going to do up to 40, 50 days maceration in 50, wood. wow. Yeah. That's quite high. I mean, you know. Absolutely. And sometimes we even have the malolactic at the end of it uh, straight away with the skins, which is something unique and uh, something we really were really desired to happen but uh it happens and uh, it's just fantastic so you don't do you induce the mallow or it just happens it just happens uh -huh. because we just try to keep uh, as well as the fermentation with yeast we normally just try to keep uh, warm and just start naturally so we always use natural yeast and natural malolactic acid bacteria that are just, uh, I mean, in Valtellina we were never been lacking the the percentage of those. And uh, if the vintage is, uh, is a little bit softer with the skins, we don't go that far with the maceration. We might do something like 15, 20 days maximum. Okay. Of, yeah. And maybe that would be like more for the Rosso or... The Rosso is doing something like uh, four to six days maceration only. Oh, so, okay. Yeah. So pretty short. Yeah. And then the cruise might go up to 50 days, but it could exactly. be as short as 20 or so. Exactly. And then we do normally for the Rosso, as we said, something like uh, um, six to nine months in wood. For the, let's say, medium reserva, we do something like uh, two years in wood. For the major reserva, we do at least four years in big wood, mainly chestnut. And um, after that, normally the wines go back into the stainless steel or concrete, preferable, in order to create an environment like in, in a huge bottle, in a way, without oxygen. So you have a well idea of what's going on uh, in the bottle next. And in this way, so we live normally one year or one and a half year and then go into bottles. And uh, as we said, for the Rosso di Valtellina, we do minimum six months in bottle aging. For the medium reserva, we do minimum one year in bottle. And for the major reserva, we do minimum three years in bottle. And uh, that's that was a, a huge step that we did uh, recently because before we were doing something like two years also for the major reserva. But we think an extra year can really be something more and more more because uh, it really deserves time. And uh, some people say that uh, as long as staying body should stay in bottle before releasing. So we get very close to that. And um, and we think uh, it's been a huge improvement for us. How have you seen the wines evolve over the time that uh, you've been involved with the winery? I mean, what has changed since 84? Yeah, it's... Um, well... We see now with the with this fermentation in wood that is bringing the wine a little more, yeah, in a way even more clean because uh, you don't get that reduction that much, and uh, maintaining a lot more freshness and um, a lot more, yeah, even stable through through aging. Uh, 
Um, then, of course, uh, um, thinking about the, the, the first vintages, uh, um, you really see um, how the evolution is going to be. And, um, and of course, uh, we've been facing some super vintages, uh, like it was, uh, I don't know, like uh, 85 or 1990, something. And it's... Um, but you see, you still see the way they can evolve a lot. I mean, you see a lot of future for those uh, vintages as well. And uh, whenever we have a chance to open up one, you can still see the way they can be enjoyable in the next future. So it's really uh, a lot of evolution, and uh, but still maintaining a lot of freshness and things. So. I think it's very challenging all of this, um, and so it's just a. It, There's a lot to consider. Yeah, absolutely. What about your own career uh, at the winery? How did it uh, start? I mean, in what direction did you go, and what what do you tend to do day to day now? Yeah, so I I've been joining. I mean, hundred uh, percent my my father in um, two thousand one, mm -hmm. and uh, I'm glad that um, I mean he allowed me to to do some experience outside. So I've been studying um, food science and technology, and then I did a master in enology, and I've been working a little bit in Piemonte as well. Uh, and it was a very interesting and challenging experience, of course, uh, and also working very much close to the markets as well. And um, and then I decided to, to move back to the family business because I really thought that um, I needed to transform, I mean, to, I mean, not to transform, to transfer, let's say, all the experience uh, in terms of more getting the Valtellina known in the world. Because well, I, I, I really do believe that uh, Valtellina wines um, have a lot of potential, well, as a region, but are still very much unexpressed, just need to be discovered. And what has been the reception so far in your travels to New York? Uh, what's the American audience like at this time? Has been super. Really, I I see that uh, when you when you have a chance to talk to the people and to express and to tell the way we work and etc. and uh, and to explain why some wines can be in a way or another then people do really understand what's behind uh, a glass. And uh, even most of the time, the wine might speak by, by themselves, and I think that's the best thing. But uh, of course, if you if you let them, I mean, understand a little bit better what's behind uh, in the vineyard, etc., that's, uh, that's making everything more easy to understand for sure. What are vintages uh, that you have seen since 01 that really have stood out for you uh, at the winery? Yeah, well, since uh, 2001, well, for sure, 2001 and 2002 were excellent. And then uh, we went uh, absolutely 2005. That was uh, a super vintage, very little quantity, but excellent quality. In fact, we are going to be releasing only reservas. And then we were also very good 2007 and 2009. Uh, and so, yeah, I mean, uh, there have been a few of them, uh, but... The secret, I think, is try to get the best from every single vintage, and even when you when you think um, it's going to be a minor, you, we are just trying to do our best 
to deliver the best expression of that vintage. So you have to accept, um, sometimes uh, it's not easy, but uh, you have to accept that not every single vintage is different. And uh, you just need to try to get the best from the nature that is giving you that vintage. And um, and sometimes, like it was, for example, for 2003, like 2003 was very hot in Valterina and we took the strong decision to produce only Rosso di Valterina. Basically, the Rosso di Valterina was born that vintage. Oh, I didn't realize that. Yeah, and so... Which is a non-crew blend of, of yeah. Nebbiolo that you make. And at that point, uh, this uh, young wine was sort of opening new markets and new segments as well, because, of course, it was much more difficult to to sell by the glass, for example, a major reserva, but it was much easier to to let people approach a Valtellina wines with a Rosso di Valtellina. So because the price point's lower also, for the yeah. Rosso di Valtellina. And in this way, uh, it happens that, um, I mean, a bad vintage in a way was taking a positive result because uh, then was getting the wine more easy to understand and more approachable to people. So... Sometimes you can even turn into positive of something that the nature is giving you. So it's really a matter of trying to understand uh, what you have and give the best result. And uh, are there movements in terms of farming or uh, vineyard uh, management that really appeal to you or things that really seem to have influenced how you do work in the vineyard or no? Well, um I mean, um, I think uh, it could be interesting to get uh, some other, um, I mean, we are we are doing a lot of work in the vineyards also, um, moving into the, um, you might have heard of the Simonitan Cirque method. That are no, getting, I'm sorry, I don't know. He's actually a more rational way of working in terms of pruning and terms of and Emanuele is following together with the with his with the team and together with other producer, um, trying to follow everything a little bit more rational in the vineyards, trying to to get the vineyards express his best uh, from the pruning itself that must be done in a proper way, etc. And so we try to make everything a little bit more yeah, let's say rational, I think, um in those um in, in walking in the vineyards and trying to get the, the best uh, expression from trying to maintain the plants in the best healthy conditions. And so, I mean, we are always watching and trying to see the new things that we can do in order to improve what we are doing without transforming too much, um, I mean, from our traditional way. So, And so we try to to understand what's going on in terms of equipments and things, uh, but um, always try never to move that far from where we want to go and to maintain. So maintain the tradition, maintain this uh, way of working uh, in a very much, um, uh, I don't want to say strict, but uh, in a way, I mean, very clear way of working. Uh, and what would you see as, uh, you know, given that, respect for tradition and but what would you see as the future of the RPP winery 10 years from now if we were to sit down again what might you be telling me that you've done recently well i i hope to bring uh, RPP more more around the world and uh, to let people more and more know about uh, Valtellina i mean we are not really thinking of um, growing that much uh, we we might be as we said uh, growing a little bit more with 
few neighbors, has, I mean, giving us the, the grapes or giving us the, not the grapes, the, the vineyards around in order to to become a little bit bigger. But uh, to me, it's more and more to, to tend to to let Valtellina more known in the in the world. Mm-hmm. And uh, at the same time, I hope uh, uh, to be more and more contagious with some other young people who might be able to recover some older vines and uh, older areas and try to, yeah, maybe to be in the, into the UNESCO heritage and to be more um, present uh, around the world. And that would be a great success for us. And um, and then we are facing more and more tourism ourselves, which is fantastic at the same time. And uh, to see the people coming and discovering Valtellina and um, and you know, I think uh, it has uh, yeah a high potential uh, even from from other point of view. I mean, uh, a lot of other uh, aspects of Valtellina, like uh, the cheese producers, it's something very interesting and uh, to discover. I hope to be bring Valtellina a little more closer, like the Lange, to be a little more, you know, gastronomic tour in 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 the area. So to let people discover this uh, this part of the world a little more. And I'm sure you've been around wine your whole life, and there have been numerous bottles open. Is there a particular moment drinking wine that really stands out for you over your career? Well, there are several of them, and. Uh, for sure, opening these uh, very old vintages, it's always uh, a mysterious moment and very, uh, as we said, when we were opening the bottle from our fathers from 1942, something like very, very challenging. And uh, and at the same time, opening some older bottles in comparison with some old Barolo or some, uh, but even together with some other producer from, from the area. So... Uh, like uh, in the Lange or in some other area, some old Chianti or so. I I always uh, enjoy making comparison of uh, the way the wines behave through time. That's uh, really amazing. Yeah. Isabella Pelazetti Perugo, thank you for being on the show today. Thank you so much. Wonderful it's to have you. For me too. All Drink to That is hosted and produced by myself, Levy Dalton. Aaron Scala has contributed original pieces. Editorial assistance has been provided by Bill Kimsey. The show music was performed and composed by Rob Moose and Thomas Bartlett. Show artwork by Alicia Tenoyan. T-shirts, sweatshirts, coffee mugs, and so much more, including show stickers, notebooks, and even gift wrap are available for sale if you check the show website all drink to that pod.com. That's I L L drink to that P O D.com, which is the same place you'd go to sign up for our email list or to make one of the crucially important donations that help keep this show operating. You can donate from anywhere using PayPal or Stripe on the show website. Remember to hit subscribe or to follow this show in your favorite podcast app, please. That's super important to see every episode. And thank you for listening.